just a moment that three times Mark opens up his first chapter, three times he uses the word gospel. That word gospel is found 100, 101 times or so in the New Testament. And so we're going to talk about the gospel this morning. And I'm going to point out four or five other things that will lead us into communion. But also, if you are reading, and I hope you are, and if you're not, you can get a bookmarker. And if you'll read the book of Mark, we started on Wednesday. But if you'll get one of these bookmarkers, there's some at the different entrances. We're trying to encourage the whole church just to read the gospel of Mark during Lent. And so each day you've got a reading on here. And you can listen or get a 3D devotion online with an email, not listen, but read. The 3D devotion will be written by the staff, and Mark Condra is our lay leader. And so six days we'll be writing devotion and joining that. The Bible studies on Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, will all be in the book of Mark. And Tyler and I are going to preach from the gospel of Mark during the season of Lent. So I hope you'll do that. Uh, discipline yourself to just read the book of Mark during Lent. Let's begin. Gospel of Mark, first chapter, and we'll read verses 1 through 15. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. I'll stop there and remind you that these are two prophecies that Mark kind of mingled together. One comes from Malachi, one comes from Isaiah, and oftentimes a writer's New Testament might take a scripture or two and kind of mingle them together. We preachers today do that too. And so, but he gives a prophecy to start off with and says, this is him. This is coming in the prophet of the anointing of Elijah, as Malachi said. So this is John the Baptist that he's speaking about. So verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, that is to John, and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Why does it mention that he ate locusts and wild honey? I'm glad you asked. There's nothing better than a good juicy grasshopper. I mean, if you catch them fresh right out of the air, and obviously to eat them, he probably had to put honey on them to get them down. Now, Russ waits. He likes peanut butter on his in particular. Now that I got your attention, that is very significant that it tells us that he was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. All that is is a reminder to us that he was a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite. And in the Jewish culture, a Nazarite was like a holy man in any culture. And so they were highly respected. And already they knew the story and they were waiting. Because many of them were there. You remember when Zacharias and Elizabeth, when we read at Christmas, Zachariah was the one who went mute. And then when he began to speak there in the temple, many of them heard him and said, this is our child, his name shall be called John. So that's where he comes from. And from his birth, he was given to the Nazarite tradition. So he was raised out in the wilderness. They let their hair grow long and their beards down. And they, they did it out there in the wild wilderness. And they ate 
things that were wild. And so they had some sense of idea that this prophecy would eventually be fulfilled. And so it was. So there was already some reverence and some respect for this Nazarite. But then this is the one who Malachi said would come in the anointing. He'll be the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one that's going to announce who he is. And so they already had some idea. So they came out to hear him. And when he started saying, repent and be baptized, they took, they took attention to that. And many of them were baptized by him. Some of you that have been to Israel, Lana and I, many of us got to go a couple of years ago. We got to come and, and be near this spot where John was baptizing and then Jesus came down. And it was an all-encompassing spiritual anointing of just realizing you're there in that place where John said, behold, the Lamb of God. We were there right before the Jordan goes into the Dead Sea. So this is, this is him. This is this Nazarite. But then listen to his next statement. And he preached saying in verse 7, there comes one, he's speaking about Jesus, there's one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to stoop down and loose. Very humbling statement. I'm not even worthy to unloose the straps off of his sandals. And listen to the next line. I'm going to emphasize it in a moment. John said, I indeed baptize you with water. But he, speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, Jesus saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And so they heard this. John heard it. Mark recorded it. Verse 12, Immediately the Spirit then drove Jesus into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered to him. Now after John was in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Let me share with you about four things to help us come to communion today, but also help us to understand what we're reading when we're reading the book of Mark. Let's go to the opening line, the opening sentence. It's got a lot of powerful information packed in it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark sets the stage in this opening sentence so that there is no mistake as to whom and for whom he's creating this publication. It is about Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word is Mashiach, Messiah. That's where we get the word Messiah from the Old Testament. So this wasn't just any person named Jesus, which that name was common in the Jewish people. Many boys were named Jesus. But this is Jesus the Christ. This is the Messiah that I'm going to write about. This is the Messiah that you're going to read about. Then he calls him the Son of God. Son of God. So this is God himself who set foot on this earth through his Son. You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. 
And so he starts off with, so don't miss that when you're reading the book of Mark, that you know who it's about. It's about the Christ. It's about Mashiach. It's about Messiah, the Son of God. This is who I'm writing about. This is what this gospel is for. And this is who this gospel is about. It's about him. So get that in mind. You and I are invited to have Holy Communion with the Messiah. You and I are invited to come and share in communion with Him. You see, He set the table. In some ways, let me call it this way, we get to come and we get an appetizer, we get a full course meal, and we get dessert. The Messiah, the Son of God, has set the table. The table is Himself. And he's invited us to come be a part of it. And we too, like John, should come with humility, but also with joy that you got invited to the king's table. This is who Mark's writing about. Second thing, why does the Bible emphasize the word gospel? The word gospel, most of us, if I ask you, you'd probably say it means good news, which it does. But a little deeper in that, it also means a very important news. This is an important message. So my version is the gospel means a very important good news message. So this is the gospel about Jesus Christ. It consists of a message from God concerning human salvation. Pretty heavy stuff. Very important. It is a divine communication concerning Jesus. So we know that Jesus is the long foretold Messiah who through his life, his death, and then he would rise again from the dead. We're going to celebrate as we make our way to Easter, an empty tomb. This is who this gospel is about. And then for Jesus to end our text this morning to say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Let me ask you something very important. Have you believed the gospel? Have you trusted Christ? Do you, do you know the Messiah? Have you done this? Have you done what Jesus said? Repent and believe the gospel of who he is. The truth, the gospel, in that sense, is either good news or it's bad news, depending upon how we respond to it. Membership in the coming kingdom Jesus tells us right here, demands a turning toward the living God. It's a turning back to God, a conversion. Tyler shared about it on Wednesday night as we repented. We align ourselves with God. So our response to the gospel involves both a turning to God and then a reliance upon his mercy. John was telling me, I'm not even worthy to loose the sandals off of his seat, he said. Remember the gospel when you come to the table. The third thing I want you to consider, remember, is remember it's, it's said in there in the text that Jesus came and was baptized by John. So he had to repent of his sins? Well, no, that's, that's not true because we know the Bible says he who knew no sin. But yet Jesus, in that sense, really had no need to undergo a baptism or repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, volumes have been written about this. I'm going to give you Harvey Beck's short version of that. Entire encyclopedias of the Bible have been written on this one thing. I think that one of the reasons that Jesus 
face God and went through that baptism is he did it on behalf of us broken people. So that on behalf of the lost, he, Jesus, undertakes a repentance that is really acceptable to God. And I'm glad he did because the word tells us that our righteousness is his filthy rags. But I'm glad he went. Except his baptism. And then he also instituted and blessed the sacrament of baptism. Very powerful thing. It's an outward sign. That's the third thing I want you to remember. Let's go back to verses 7 and 8. This is the fourth thing. And he preached saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to get down, stoop down and get on my knees and unloose the straps. Have you ever had to do that for somebody? Get down on your knees or unloose sandals or their shoes or something? I'm not talking about because you had to. Just to do that, it's kind of an humbling experience. But in this case, John is saying, I'm less than a slave to him. Because in the Hebrew understanding of a Hebrew slave, they were not required. Of all the things a Hebrew slave was required to do, which was quite a list. But a Hebrew slave was not required to untie his master's sandals. He didn't have to get down and do that. And so then John says, I'm not even worthy to get down and even unloose his sandals. So we see the humility with which he approaches Messiah, Son of God. It's the same way we should approach this table. I'll just go in and say it. Ain't none of us in here worthy to get to come to this table. We come in his word. We come to back to the Messiah that I want you to come. Because what I offer, nobody else can give you. Which leads us into the next statement that John said. After saying, I can't loose the sand of off of his feet. He says, though, I indeed, I can baptize you with some water. And he said, oh, there's one coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This statement, that statement in verse 8, is found six times in the Bible. Almost identical. A lot of times there's something that's done in the Bible twice, maybe three times, four times. That carries a lot of weight. Six times. So apparently, wants to make sure that we get this. So all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mention this statement. But then it is repeated twice in the book of Acts. Acts 1.5 and Acts 11.16. But what does this mean for you and I? Well, let me put it this way. I enjoy baptizing someone. I usually get emotional about it every time I do when I baptize. Just because of all that's behind it. And, and the powerful symbol that it is. Just a couple of weeks, this past week or so ago, Chris Self has a call on his life. And a part of the process he's gone through Kennedy, he went through licensing school. So now Pastor Chris and Tyler and I, we can baptize you. We've been blessed by the church to be able to baptize somebody. But let me say this. As, as, as enjoyable as that is to be able to experience that, let me remind you, you can be a you can be baptized a thousand times and not know Christ. Because there's only one who can baptize you with his spirit. You can come to communion 10,000 times and still not know Christ. Because he is the only one. While we and John can baptize an outward baptism of repentance, it's only him that can do the inward work. 
That's what John's saying. Only the Messiah, only the Son of God can do this. So that's important as we read the book of Mark. We understand that. He is the only one. There's one coming after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized by his Spirit? He's the only one who can do that. So as you come to communion, I remind you of the words of Jesus. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray together. God, we praise you today. We, we thank you, God, for, for what you've done. Forgive me sometimes in our, the church, sometimes we, we kind of take for granted. We've heard the gospel so many times. Sometimes I, I think we've become inoculated to it. God, renew in us a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of thanksgiving that our Messiah came. And not only did he come and die for us, but he set a table for us that we could dine with him because with him it's always about relationship. Remind us of that as we come to the table. Bless this table, we pray in Jesus' name.